Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise for spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That was well read, wasn't it? Because that's a tricky passage to read. Uh, I'll tell you a bit more of that, why that's so tricky in a second. Um, if you were with us last week, you'll, you'll know that we uh, launched our, our motto text. Every, every year, the um, elders pray, is there a specific word or verse that God wants us as a church to, to listen to or lean into in this year? Uh, and uh, we shared it from Isaiah uh, 43, verse 19, which, is, which God says, see, I am doing a new thing. We, we are really aware that God wants to do a new thing in us as individuals, in us as a church, but actually beyond that, that God wants to do a new thing in our community and our country. And, and as, a, as a way we unpack that, uh, this, this term and this year, is we want to look at a, a church that saw new things of God, where, where God did something in an incredible way in the New Testament. Now, there's lots of churches um, that started. A church is just people who follow God gathering together, and it's a community called ecclesia is, is the word. People's, God's people gathered together is a church, and these churches were in different places and different cities. I want us to focus in on one particular city, and that was a church that was landed and created and grew in a city called Ephesus. Now, now has anyone been to Ephesus? Yes, you can be brave. I know, I know Kathy has. We, we were there last um, September because it's a very unusual place uh, because it still exists. Often when we think of, of these uh, cities that the Bible mentions is we maybe think of little dusty places and peoples in sandals and togas and, and this sort of little, little quiet life. And yet Ephesus was very, very different to that. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Its population was probably three quarter of a million people there. It, it was a, at the crossroads and there was a harbor there and um, it was, they had a huge coliseum that could, uh, a huge amphitheater, sorry, that would seat 25,000 people. 
Um, I've got the pictures out. So, so if you click the next uh, slide, is I've got some pictures out. All, all but one picture we took in September. Well, my kids took in September. Um, the, the one in the, the top one in there, um, we didn't take that one because it's now covered in scaffolding because they're, they're maintaining it a little bit more. Um, but that seats 25,000 people. Remember, there's no PA, there's no spotlights, uh, and yet they, they would gather and they were, th- this was not for um, killing people with lions, this was a performance place. This is where, where plays would have been acted out. Music would have been done. There was a lot of culture in this city. It was this also the center of, of business. There was a, uh, as a harbor city and so much trade came in there. Between uh, the amphitheater and the harbor, there was, a, there was a very long promenade, 70 foot across. And either side, there were stores that there, you could buy everything at. It was a really high shopping center. There's also a big financial district. And everyone knows where there's money, there is more money. And um, that, that's what happened there, is, is in this crossroad, and a lot of business was going to happen, this city thrived. Now, it's an unusual city because, I said, you can walk around that right now. I said, these pictures we took just in September. Wait till you get the expenses for them. And, um, <laughs> and that's a joke. And, uh, but we... <laughs> is that a joke? And... <laughs> But you can actually walk around it. Because often when it comes to, to ancient cities, is they then have been, like if you've been to Rome, you'll know that Rome was built and then ripped down and something was built on top of it and then that's taken down and built on top of that. Where Ephesus didn't have that. Is what happened is Ephesus was a thriving city with the things I just told you. I can tell you about a few more things in a moment. And there was an earthquake which, which damaged the city. Also because of the change in climate is that the, the tide went out a long way. It's now about 10 kilometers from the sea. So it's no longer a harbor town. And, and as the water went out also, um, malaria took hold and they abandoned the city. So they're now reestablishing. So all the stuff that you see in those pictures, it, those are the places where, where the people in the Bible we talk about, they would have walked. In, in that, that amphitheater, they would have gone there. The smaller one in the top corner uh, um, is, is a 500 seater. They would have gone into those as well. They would have seen those things. There's the, a library in the center of the city as well. It's a two-story library. It was the center of education and knowledge. Uh, and there was a richness there as well. And then not far outside of, of Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a temple to Artemis or, or to Diana. And uh, people would travel for miles and miles and miles, pilgrimage to this place to give their honor and respect. And there would also, there was a massive uh, industry around that as well. There were silversmiths and other people who would make scrolls and, and make idols that they would buy either to then present at the temple or then to take home as a reminder of, of what they did. So there's a massive industry of that going on as well. It was a city that was, it was a free city. So what it meant by that was, although it was the seventh, sorry, the fourth biggest city in, in the Roman Empire, it didn't have direct Roman control. It governed itself, which meant that, that those who were in trouble with Roman, they could actually hide out in the city. So there's a big criminal um, aspect in that as well. Now, why I'm telling you so much about this city, because you can, besides that you can go and have a look around it, is this is the city, when you, it's, whenever it's referred to in Scripture about Ephesus, this is what they have in mind, because this is what actually was happening at the time. In Acts 19, we hear that the Apostle Paul, he turned up at Ephesus, at this place, seeing these things, but with a lot of people in it. And what he did is he found some people who followed John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, who proclaimed Jesus was coming. And, and they'd heard John the Baptist and were following him. And they're saying, no, no, John the Baptist was just pointed to Jesus. And he shared Jesus and he shared the truth of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And, and they followed Jesus and the church 
formed and began to grow. And when it grew, it grew in a phenomenal way. It says that the teaching around there, it was so impactful that everyone in the region, not just the city, everyone in the region heard about the truth of Jesus. Not just the teaching, but the miracles that followed. Because we, we find this is all in Acts 19, you can have a look at check it out now if you're bored or, or later when you get home. Is when Paul was there, besides teaching, there was also miracles happening. So Paul didn't just teach it, there was also power with there. And it says that, that handkerchiefs or aprons that Paul just touched were then used for healing people. Now, I have no idea how that works, but that's quite phenomenal, don't you think? So, so imagine if I prayed for, for this piece of paper, and, and then you guys just go and you go and touch it on someone else and they're healed. Things like that were happening. So no wonder it was spreading. But, but not just these miraculous things. It was something that was changing people's lives as well. It was impacting their behavior. Because we read in Acts 19 is that there was a point where, where they burnt 50,000 drachma worth of, of, of spells and, and, and spiritual things to other um, gods there. Now, a drachma is one silver coin, and a silver coin is a day's, a day's wages. So you think, modern that up, a day's wages now, timed by 50,000, we are talking millions of pounds worth of things that were burnt. Why? Because they're going, this is anti-God. This is not what Jesus wants to do. We are turning our back on what is wrong and we are following Jesus. And it inspired them in such a way, not just for them to talk about it, but they actually changed the way they lived. And it wasn't just burning the things that they were occupied in, it then impacted the way that they shopped. Because we find in Acts 19 also is that the, the silversmiths, those who made these idols and things for the, the temple of Artemis, is their trade was going down. People were coming to the city hearing about Jesus and going, I'm following him, not this false god. And the silversmiths were so upset because their business went down, is they, they accused uh, Paul of, of dividing the city and they tried to start a riot to stop the Christians. So at such a way, it came to the right, it was a city clerk who wasn't a Jesus follower, who's calmed the riot down because they're going, if there's a riot here, Rome are going to send the soldiers in and it's going to get very messy. Now, let me just, why I'm telling you this is it's really important. Because what it says is, is this church saw something phenomenal of God happening. We, our motto text is, uh, God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And what we find in this book, uh, uh, in this city of uh, Ephesus, is that God was doing such a new thing that it didn't just change people's lives internally. It didn't just people change people's lives in small groups. It actually changed the city. The whole city got impacted by the message of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure what, how big your view of God is. What do you think this new thing of God is going to happen this year? I, I want to encourage us to say, God, I don't want you just to change me or change my small group or change our church. I want you to change Lock's Heath area. I want you to change Farum. I want you to change yourself. I want you to change this country because what you're doing in and through us. Anyone up for that? So what we're going to be doing over these next, this term is we're going to dig into the book of Ephesians. Now, what the book of Ephesians, if you're, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, is made up of lots of, of, of different books. And um, different people wrote different books. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote to a lot of churches. He wrote to the church in Corinth, so we get one and two Corinthians. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica, so you get one and two Thessalonians. He also wrote to the church in Ephesus, and we get Ephesians. Now, the book of Ephesians is a little bit different because the other letters, he's usually writing to a church to, to correct something they get wrong. Maybe some theology that they went off track on, or, or maybe they're doing something that's just downright 
dumb or against God, but the book of Ephesians is different. He's not writing to correct a wrong. He's not trying to write to, to help with a, to, to sort out a teaching. He's not writing to say, tell that person to sort it out. What he's doing is he's writing to a church that had seen incredible things of God in their history, and he's cheering them on to saying, but God isn't finished yet. God wants to do some new things and some more things. And what we're going to be unpacking the rest of this term over eight weeks is, um, there's other things going to happen as well, but we're going to do eight part, break this book into eight weeks. And during this, we're going to unpack what did Paul have to say to this church? What were some of the lessons? What were some of the things he was cheering on? What are some of the things he said, you need to walk in this way so that we might learn and we might see this new thing of God happen more in us and around us and through us and impact in our schools and in our hospitals and in our, our community beyond that's what we're going to be looking at. And in this book of Ephesians is a real key element of that. So if we dive in, if you have your Bible, please turn it on, open it up, and have a look at these first, this, first check, this first reading that Laska gave on you a few moments ago. Now, once you get past verse 1 and 2, which is the dear Ephesians bit, from, from verse 3 to 14... Um, when I said she did a fantastic job of reading it, because if you have ever read it before, it, it, it's, it's a complicated passage. Some scholars say it's the most cumbersome sentence in the entire Bible. The reason is, it's because it is one sentence. It's from from verse 3 to verse 14. He does not pause. He does not put any punctuation in there. There, There's no punctuation. You don't know where to pause. Where where it's Alaska did a fantastic job of reading it to make sense. But if you've ever read it, you're going, does that make, is that, and you get, how about, does anyone join me when you read that? You're going, is it just me being thick? Or is this complicated? Anyone feel that? Because in this passage, what he combines is he combines the Trinity about the Father, about the Son of Christ, about the Holy Spirit. It has past, present, and future. It talks about election, predestination, adoption. It talks about grace, redemption, forgiveness. It talks about, about understanding and wisdom and the mystery of Christ's will. It talks about the deposit and the seal and the promise of his inheritance. And it rams it up that you're chosen, you're in there, and I'm in there, and you're, and, and, and you're just going, okay. So some of us, let's be honest, some of us go, I'll just skim over that complicated bit and I'll get onto the bits I understand. Who, who would love to choose that route? Yeah, I, I thought that this week because I had to preach on it. And I'm going, can we just skip that and get to the easier bits? How many of you are going, no, no, Mark, Mark, I'm much more spiritual and, and there's, there's great depth of wisdom here. And what we need to do is we need to take each element and each word and, and, and unpack the richness of it and, and totally wrestle with that because there is great, great treasure in there that if we just skip over it, we'll miss. So we need to spend the next 300 years unpacking this. Anybody fancy that? It was the 300 years that put you off, wasn't it? Yeah, I got that. Okay. Um, I don't think Paul wrote it for us to do either of those, to be honest. Now, you may disagree, and you're allowed to. It's fine. I don't think he... Well, I know, I know he didn't write us for us to go, yeah, 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 let's move on. I know we didn't want that. But I don't think he wanted us to, to actually to unpick every little bit to, to savor every minute. I don't think he wanted us to do that either. Here, here's, here's my... I'm going to put it out, and then you can take it or reject it. You know? God will reveal the truth. So take what I say. So here it comes. <laughs> Have you ever been to a West End musical, um, or a, a, a musical, one of these big ones, and right before... And right before, I don't know what you're laughing at, that's what getting me nervous. And, 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 and right before the curtain opens up, the orchestra kicks in and it starts playing um, pieces from all of the soundtracks that are about to come. Have, have, you ever, have you encountered that? 
So especially if it's a musical you know, or if you don't know, what the, what the orchestra does, it does an overture. It gives you a flavor that rises the, floor, the, the, the falls, the, it, the inversions and the, and the main, main sort of headlines, and it musically prepares you for what's happening. If it's, a, if it's a musical you're familiar with, you're going to go, oh yeah, that's a good song. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I don't know that one. I wonder what that is. Now, they're not doing this for you to go, okay, that's it, and we leave. Let's analyze that overture. It's to, to whet your appetite, to raise your expectation, to say, look, this is what's going to come. These are some of the themes that we're going to explore, but enjoy what's about to come. Now, now, those of you who are not very musical and you're more visual, perhaps, let me give you, I should have got a picture of this, but I, I, I didn't get a chance to. Have you ever seen one of these pictures that is made up of a lot of smaller pictures? Have you ever seen one of those? And if you go, and, and sometimes, you know, even the old Polaroid ones, is you see, you see a lot of selfies of individual people, and, and some people you'll know and don't know, and, and, and all different colors and races and genders and all that sort of stuff. But when you pull back, you suddenly see a much bigger picture. Okay, so what Paul is writing in, in this first incredibly uh, um, dense paragraph which, or sentence is he's saying, I want you to understand the bigger picture here. I want you to understand the name of the musical here. So you don't, okay, I'm, I'm not saying ignore all the little bits, but all the little bits do something bigger. And what this bigger picture is, what this musical is, is this truth, is he says, I want you to understand that God is bigger. Now, bigger than what, you may ask? Whatever view, size of God you have, he's saying God's bigger than that. You may have a huge view of God, and he's going, fantastic, but God's bigger than that. You may have a small view of God, and he's going, yeah, and God is bigger than that. Because this is the reality that Paul knew, that, that, that I know, that we all know, is that we are surrounded by, by a, a lot of pressures and challenges around us, from the political scene on the global scale or local scale, it may be um, with, with finances and commerce and the pressures of trying to sort your money out. It may be relationships and the pressures are all around us. Maybe you've got a diagnosis that, that is, is not good for you or your family. Maybe there's relationships that have, have sort of clashed in and you're trying to work your way around those. Is What happens is when these things impact our lives is that, that our view of God can shrink. Because we are so aware of the challenges that are before us, and you're going, whoa, look how big that is. It is while we're seeing how big that is, inadvertently, uh, is our view of God shrinks. And what Paul is saying is if we want to see a new thing, is our starting point of this whole letter, our starting point is you need to, to understand in your head and in your heart that God is bigger. God is bigger than the political nightmare that's out there. God is bigger than the financial things that you're struggling with. God is bigger than that diagnosis that's just been given. God is bigger than the relational challenges that you have at work or at home. God is bigger. And that needs to be our starting point. He said our starting point to see God doing a new thing is get a bigger view of God. Because God is bigger. And that's the message that I'm going to come back to again and again is that, and I hope you leave with, is God is bigger than however you view him. He's bigger. Now, Paul unpacks that. This is what he's going to do. In verse 3, he says, um, he says, Praise God, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. 
Okay, little pause. What is the heavenly realm? I think some of us go, well, yeah, God's blessed us in heaven, but down here it's pretty tough. No, the heavenly realm, which is, which is a phrase that's used five times in the book of Ephesians, is, the heavenly realm is the whole realm. That's both heaven and earth. That's the physical here and the spiritual. That's also past, present, and future. There's time. God is in and out of time. He is, he is a God over everything. And he says that God has blessed us within the heavenly realms. So in entirety, past, present, and future, and everything, with every spiritual blessing. Paul goes, our starting point is have a big view of God because God has won it. God has sorted it. God has done everything needed. That needs to be our starting point. And then he unpacks it. And then he unpacks, and I'm not going to unpack every single thing, but I, I want to pull out four different things from here and, and, and group them together. And you can pick up other things. I'm sorry if, if there's something, maybe a word jumps out with you that's something else, and that's fine. Then lean into that. But I want to just group them into four things. This is what I want to say, four things that, that God is bigger, that there's spiritual blessing that Paul says, I need you to start on. And the first one is this, is that you are chosen. You are chosen. You are elected. You're predestined. You are adopted. How many of you have ever shared the tale or heard this sorry tale? When I was at school, whenever they did sports, they always picked the fanatical good football players or playable players. They chose them first, and then they had to choose their team. And you're all stood up in a big line, and these people choose a team. Have you, have you experienced that or heard that story? Now, some of you are in that upper group, Yeah? We will learn to love you, okay? And so if you're there, you know, you, you, you can be smug, but we all hate you, but, we, you know, we're working on it, okay? Some of us are, are who's, who's a middle person? Who, you know, you weren't one of those first ones, but you're in the middle. Any middle people here? Okay. How, how, many, how many lower people? How many, okay, how many lower people? Okay, how many sub-lower people? Where, let me tell you, let me define sub-lower people. Is, no, no, you have them. No, no, you have them. I don't mind if you have more people than me. You have them. That's the, any, any, anyone in that category? There's prayer ministry after the service. And um, <laughs> that, that feeling, actually, let's go beyond that. That reality of not being chosen, of feeling that you're left out of it, that you're not part of the cool gang or even the normal gang or even the geek gang. You're not part of any gang. Of feeling that, that I'm the one who's, who's never invited around. I'm, I'm the one who's on the outside. I'm the one who's pushed to the side. I'm the one who they, they, they talk about and they don't include. Remember, this is a church in Ephesus who knew there was a massive temple to Artemis. They reckon there was over a thousand shrine prostitutes in there. And they're saying, and there's church Christians and they're going, you know, you, and it impacted that. And you're going, guys, I, we feel rejected. We feel the side. We're, we feel ostracized. We feel that we're not part of it. I do not feel chosen. I feel neglected. I feel picked on. I feel, and, and what he's saying right here, he said, you have got every spiritual blessing. And I want to tell you that before the creation of everything, God chose you to be part of his family. Press the pause button again. Because some of us, we hear elected and we hear predestined, which is that God planned it. And then we go, wait a minute. If I'm elected and predestined, does that mean that other people are not chosen by God? You know, because you know, if you're chosen, does that mean, well, how do I know if I'm chosen or if I'm unchosen? How do I know that? And actually, if we go on that with that predestination that God has planned it all, are you saying that 
that all good, that everything that happens in our world is, is well, God planned it. This is all God's plan. And the good things that happen and the bad things that happen, it's all God's plan because he's God after all, isn't he? And you're going, if he predestined and planned everything, then is God responsible for all the, the bad things in our world as well? And does anyone wrestle with that? Does, does anybody, when you read this passage in Ephesians, you're going, let's skip over it because I'm scared or confused or if people ask me about that, I'm going to go, I don't know. So, so let's just unpack that a little bit for you. That election and predestination. If you ever wrestle, if you're, if you're going, nope, fine. I just love it. I got it. And I'm very comfortable. You can snooze for the next two seconds, two minutes. Uh, but if you're going, uh, yeah, it does make me a little bit, how, how does that work? Let me just tell you. In, in the Bible, there, there, are, there are two positions, that two truths that are stated. And the Bible doesn't try to resolve them. One truth is this, is that God is the one who created all things that he has a plan and he has good plans for you, that he has elected you, he's chosen you, and God's plan is unfolding. And, and that is true. And he says, I want you to be part of it. There is also another truth in the Bible that says that God created us with free will. That, that God, God says, I, God's love is so big and so incredible. He says, I love you so much that I'm not going to force you. I'm not creating a bunch of puppets that have no will. I'm not writing the script and going, you have no choice. Is he loves us so much as he says, I'm giving you the choice. I'm going to woo you and invite you and call you, but I'm not going to force you because I love you too much. Also in this world is there's a spiritual battle going on. And we know that by the death and resurrection of Jesus, he has won. He's defeated the enemy, but the enemy is still out there. It's a bit like on the 6th of June, 1944, D-Day landings happening, ha- happened. And, and actually, as the war unfolded, people say that that was the turning of the entire war. In fact, they say that's when the war was won. D-Day turned into V-Day. And they said that that was the one. It's, and the war was won on the, on the 6th of June, 1944. Now, the truth is, it wasn't, everything wasn't signed and, and a bigger peace didn't happen for a few months later. And in that period of time, the enemy still fought. The enemy still uh, took his revenge. The en- people still died and got hurt. But the war was won. Now, we in our world, as we have our own free will, but there's also an enemy. There is a devil. And it's not just a fictitious thing in cartoons. There is spiritual forces and spiritual battles. We're going to be looking at in Ephesians 6. Um, it's part 8 I'm doing in March sometime. Uh, there is a, an enemy. There is an enemy that does not want us to go to God. There is an enemy that's opposed to all of God. So yes, God has chosen and predestined, and it, but there's also an enemy at work as well. And the Bible doesn't try to resolve it. It says one day it will be resolved. One day, God's going to call time and go, that's it, and he's going to sort it all out. Why doesn't he do it sooner? Why doesn't God wipe out all the bad guys now? It's because many of us are still in this camp, but we haven't decided to follow Jesus. In the book of Peter, he says, God is not anxious to wipe out and, and take our chance away. He wants to give us every single chance to respond to his love and invitation. So there's this tension Someone once described it like over heaven, there's, there's, there's a, a banner that says, all are welcome. And when you walk through and you turn on the other side, it says, you are chosen. And, and that's the truth. The truth is, all are welcome, but you have been chosen. I passionately believe that God, from the beginning of time, his heart was that every single person would follow him. He chose every single person but because of his radical, unimaginable love, he says, but I'm not going to force you. He invites us. 
And that is the tension. That's what we're still wrestling with today is do I follow God's way or my way or worse, the Satan's way of culture and things that are there. Remember, he's writing to Christians in Ephesus who had this, this temple to Artemis where there was a thousand shrine prostitutes. There were people who were going, we've got to sell this because industry, money, money, money makes the world go round. And you're hearing this and you're going, but Jesus is something different. And Paul goes, we need to understand that in the face of these big challenges of politics and religions and other things around is that you have been chosen by God from the very beginning to be adopted, to be part of his family. That adoption is moving from, so in the Roman times, it is, you didn't always just give your inheritance to your oldest son. Sometimes they would adopt a slave into that. And it moves its status from being a slave into the status of I'm inheriting, I'm part of the family. And the Bible says is that we are adopted into his family. God has chosen us. He doesn't force us. I mean, as a slave, you know, if you're offered the op- opportunity to be adopted, you're not going to say no, are you? So we are invited to be adopted into the family of God. He's elected and he's chosen but we need to respond. And he says, and, and later on in this, in this passage near the end, he does say that you have, we were the first people. You chose as well. You were predestined, but you chose. That tension is in there. The Bible doesn't resolve it because there's two truths there that we're still living in that. There will come a time when there will not be two, but at the moment there is. But here is the truth that we need to keep coming to is that you've been chosen. God doesn't leave you out those who are feeling lonely, those who are feeling God out, those who are feeling on the fringe, those who are feeling I've got no one on my side, those who are feeling that no one hears me, those who are feeling that I don't know how to go on. God says, please understand, I'm bigger than that, and I chose you. At the beginning of time, I knew your name, and I said, you're mine. That's our starting point. You are chosen. But you're not just chosen because Paul carries on because the overture moves on to another bit of music and he's going, and you're redeemed. Now what's redeemed? Redeemed again is in that slave market. Redeemed is you go from slavery into freedom. Is that you pay the price. Jesus died on the cross and rose again and he paid the price. What is this about? This is, these are not just nice words from God. I chose you. Oh, I chose you. You're my special friend. He's saying, and I have given my life for you. I have paid everything. I have shown you. I'm not just saying I love you. I have done everything. We've just celebrated Christmas where God comes into the world. In a few months' time, it's Easter where he dies and rises again. This was a turning point. God says, I will give my very self to redeem you, to allow you to move status, to bring forgiveness, which is in that reading as well, to redemption and forgiveness. He said, I paid the price because there is a cost to move over and I'll pay it. See, many of us, we're still wrestling. We're still trying to be good enough for God. We're still trying to earn God's love. We're still trying to mop ourselves up and clean ourselves that maybe we'll be acceptable to God. And God's going, no, 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 come to me. I'm a God of grace and I've paid the price and I've redeemed you and I've chosen you. And, and think bigger. Those of us who are trapped and going, I'm crap, I'm, I've messed up, I've done that, and, and it's, I'm not acceptable, I'm not this. And God's going, no, 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 I've redeemed you, I've forgiven you, I've accepted you, I've adopted you, I've chosen you. Some of you need to hear right now, when God looks at you, he does not see a messed up person. He sees his child. He said, come to me. See, it's such an important starting point. Because when we know this is our starting point, it impacts everything we do. 
Because if we think I'm not worthy, I'm not rejected, I'm, I'm not chosen, if we think I'm on the fringe, we are forever going to be working to try to get into center where God wants us to be. And God says, no, 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 no. I made it possible for you to start where I want you to be. And I'll keep putting you where I want you to be. And we start from a place that I love you and save you and chosen you. And more than that is he also gives revelation to you. Because that's in there. He gives wisdom and understanding. He lavishes upon us. Is he doesn't say, I've chosen you and then I saved you and I'll get on with it. He says, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to help you at work, at home, in tough situations and easy situations. In James it says, the book of James, the New Testament, it says, if anyone needs wisdom, just ask. Because God is not reluctant to share. God is saying, I want to whisper to you. I want to help with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be involved with this. Facing those big challenges and those little challenges. He said, I'm here. I've chosen you. I love you. I've redeemed you. And I'm walking with you. And I'll whisper in your ear. If you are going, I don't know what the next step is, lean into God. Because he says he lavishes wisdom and understanding in his will. And by the way, this is not God the Google. You know, the ultimate Google. You've got to spell it God. You know, it's not like that. Because it's not just a case of, God, will you help me in my life? It's helping us to understand the glorious mystery. In, in this overture, he's talking about God's eternal plan, past, present, future. Is he saying, I don't want to just help you to know, how, you know what, what cereal do I choose? God wants to say, I want you to be part of my kingdom, my plan. So our prayer is, God, how do I respond to this that your kingdom may grow? God, how do I respond to that person so that your kingdom may grow? God, how do I do it? And he says, I will lavish wisdom and I will lavish understanding and I'll lavish my will to you. And then lastly, he says, and I'll give you part of me in you. The God of the universe and says, I will be on your life. I will, the Holy Spirit will come and he will be the seal and the deposit. Okay, let me just pause before I get into that again. It is at the beginning of verse 3, it says every spiritual blessing has been secured by God. But let's be honest that many of our lives, we're, we're wrestling with less than spiritual blessing. Is, is that fair? And has anyone happened to have a struggle going on at the moment? Just, just me or maybe a couple others? Maybe one or two. The truth is we all are struggling. We're all going, God, I don't understand. God, you know, you, your promise is this and I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing that freedom. I'm not seeing this. I'm not seeing that. I trust you, but I'm not seeing it. And he says... Every spiritual blessing includes the Holy Spirit in us, and he's a seal. In the oldie daisies, to know that a document was authentic, the sender would put a, a drop of, of wax there, and then often a ring is they would seal it, place their mark on it. And when you saw that mark of authentic, authenticity on it, is you knew that was from him. And God says that at your life at the moment, you may see some real rough things and some tough things, but I want you to look, is, is my seal on your life? Have you seen my seal on your life? In the past, in the present, is there any in the biggest small ways? Remember, the seal doesn't cover the whole letter. It's just a seal. And he says, I have marked you. Where has God marked you? Where have you said, I've seen God do that? And not just that, he's also a deposit, same sort of idea. We understand deposits. You put a deposit in that, that we know that the full thing is going to come. And he said, there, there will be a day. There will be a day when all of my promises come together. There will be a day when evil and tears are all wiped away. There will be a day. And if you want to know for sure that's going to happen is I've given you a deposit. You have part of me in you. See, this is the big thing. 
This is the thing that Paul says, you, if you grab hold of this, if you grab hold of this overture with all these and more besides, if you grab those, then we're going to see more things of God. Get a bigger view of God. Because God is bigger. However you've come to church today, God is bigger. Where, where do you need... Where do you need your perspective widened? Where do you need your heart just to say, God, I need to see that more of you? Is it you need to see God, you're bigger because I'm actually chosen? Is it the bigness of God because you're going, I have been redeemed and I'm forgiven? Is it God says, I will give you wisdom, I will help you? Or is it I've worked in your life, you've seen my mark on your life? I have not left you. I am good for my promises. Can I encourage you? What, what's the thing? It may be, or maybe something else in that passage that jumped out. Where do you need to have a bigger view of God? Because when we start there, great things happen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will, Holy Spirit, you'll just move and anything that's just faff that I've been shouting, you'll just clear that away. Stuff that's been distracting, clear that away. But stuff from you, stuff that you've shone a light on, put your finger on, I just pray that you will open our eyes. Enlarge our hearts. Fill those gaps. Let your stream of living water come and flow into that area that we may know God is bigger. That God is bigger. God move, I pray. The band are gonna just lead us in a bit of worship, but during this time, I I wanna encourage you to, to do some business with God. God doesn't stir to, to condemn. God stirs to revive, to bring life. If you're wrestling, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm still in the sub-picking category. I'm still, God said, no, 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 no. I've chosen you, redeemed you. I want to encourage you to, to, to have an honest conversation with God. Get some prayer. We've got a prayer team at either side. Uh, They've they got the lanyards. Right, go and pray with them or someone you came with. Just saying, will you pray that I may have a bigger view of God? You can tell the area or just keep it wide. God knows. Just say, God, will you come in? You are the mighty king of forever. You are the one who stepped into us. And you're the one who wants to do anything. Let's just respond to God.